What's going on, folks? Thanks for hitting that download button and checking out a brand new episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade, your one-stop shop for toys, tech, and talk with some assembly required. I'm your host, Rich, and if this is your first time checking out an episode, first of all, welcome. Second, a bit about what we do here. Toys and Tech of the Trade is an interview series where we sit down with content creators, entrepreneurs, and just awesome folks that are on our radar and discuss the gadgets, the gear, and the tech that they use to create their content, run their business, and overall, be more productive. When it comes to toys, we like to embrace it in a more generic sense and not just relegate it to action figures, statues, Funko Pops, things of that nature. You'd be surprised what people consider toys, whether it's jet skis, kitchen knives, cars. We like to embrace a more generalized term when it comes to toys because everybody considers something that they love their personal toys. Like I said, some people that I've talked to are into cars. Their cars are their toys. Me, action figures, comic collectibles, etc. Those are my toys. Plus, talking about that stuff gives you a little bit more of a personal insight into our guests and it breaks up some of the business talk as well. So with that said, Let's get into some housekeeping uh, before we get into this week's guest. Uh, first off, I'd like to thank everyone who's uh, shared their feedback and reached out, uh, enjoying the variety of guests that we've had over the last few episodes. And believe you, believe you me, it's going to be even more crazy over the coming weeks. We've talked to some CEOs. We've talked to some streamers. We've talked to just a variety of different people. And I'm so excited to share their stories because you would be surprised how many different things you can pick up, whether it's personally or professionally from the people that you talk to. And the guests that I've, the guests that I've spoken to over these last few episodes have given me different insights into just being a better entrepreneur, a better creator, uh, just embracing my approach to the business differently. And over the coming weeks, you're going to get a lot more of that stuff. And this week's guest is going to tackle something that I've talked about in different episodes and in passing, and that's public speaking. But this week's guest not only took the art of public speaking and turned it into a revenue stream, but he also turned it into a platform and a niche that he has tackled on YouTube, and he's imparting all of his wisdom to his his followers, his listeners, plus he's sharing that with us. And I think it's huge, not only because public speaking is important and should be something that people focus on, but because you'd be surprised how many little things we rely on, whether it's verbal crutches or other things to convey certain messages. And I think that when you're trying to be an entrepreneur and trying to be a content creator and you want to connect with your audience. You want to make sure that your message is clear, concise, and to the point. And sometimes we get caught up in a lot of things, um, you know, whether it's long pauses, crutch words. Like for me, I know a crutch word is, you know, as a New Yorker, you know, is part of, it's just, it's just in the DNA, you know, you know what I'm saying? Those are, those are in there. And if you're from New York, I'm sure you can appreciate that and laugh at it as well. But in addition to that, uh, this week's guest talked about other things like cue cards and why they're no good and a bunch of other uh, nuggets and bits of wisdom that you can apply to, like I said, your communication, whether it's on a Zoom call or in the boardroom or even for your own YouTube channel or podcast. There's a lot of gems uh, from this week's guest. So enough of me rambling on. Let's turn it over to this week's guest and learn about the toys and tech of their trade. My guest this week is Brendan Kumarasamy. Brendan is the founder of Master Talk, which is a YouTube channel specializing in helping people improve their public speaking and communication. And considering how much talking we're doing virtually this day and age, I feel that this is a very insightful and necessary tool to utilize to help you be a better performer, whether it's for your business, your side project, or even just your side hustle. And I think that Brendan is going to give you guys a lot of value. So let's get right to it. Brendan, what's going on? Thanks for stopping by. Thanks for having me, Rich. It's great to be on. So let's talk about Master Talk, which is your YouTube channel. You got over 2,500 subscribers. You're dropping videos every week. And most importantly, you're not just covering 
the art of public speaking and communication. You're talking about ways to improve your confidence, how to deal with hostile audiences, how to in, ensure that your body language conveys certain messages. So let's get into the origin story of it and discuss how you got into Master Talk. Let's start there. Absolutely. Happy to share. So when I was at university, I used to do these things called case competitions. So think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. <laughs> so think as other guys my age would, you know, play football or watch football or play soccer and watch soccer. I did the same thing with the same chicken wings, with the same junk food, but with presentations. So I was obsessed with presenting better and I did it competitively for many years. And after three years of university, I've co I coached over 75 people on how to speak better. I co I presented personally over 500 times and I'd also presented over 50 times. So when I started working in the corporate world after my crazy uh, presentation competition life, I kind of asked myself the following question, which was how do I transfer my time and expertise with the remaining time that I have left in this world to add value to people? That's when the idea for the channel came about because I realized that a lot of the content on public speaking communication on the platform, frankly, wasn't very good. So I wanted to make a change there. Now, with regards to that, what what do you feel, especially now, has been the biggest hindrance in ensuring that people have uh, a great public, uh, great excuse me, a great public speaking presence? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the biggest mistake that I see people make, Rich, is that they don't necessarily know how to practice. So let me explain this. So let's say you want to learn a new skill, whether that's playing a new piano, like an instrument, or learning a new sport, or even singing a new song. In either one of those contexts or the situations, what tends to happen is the following. Sure, let's say you're playing piano. You're better off, you know, you could play 50 different songs. You could do all of that. Or you could focus on getting one song perfectly so that you can show up to your friends that you know how to play piano. So what that does is that gives you a quick win. It gives you a boost of confidence to say, man, if I can master this one song, then I can do the other ones. But it took 150 or even 25 tries to get that right. But that analogy, we don't apply to public speaking. It's Wednesday. Our boss, our client, our teacher comes up to us and says, hey, Rich, I need you to give me a presentation for Friday. And you just go, uh, okay. So anyways, you get to work. You put a bunch of slides together. You put a lot of work into it. You finally get to present it after so much hours of hard work. You finally give, give it, and then you take the presentation that you work so hard to build. You crumble it, throw it in the dustbin, and move on to the next presentation. Whereas the best speakers in the world keep that presentation or present something that they can do hundreds of times. If you take me as a personal example here, I've given my keynote over 300 times now. Wow. Now with, with, with that said, and, and this is something that, you know, when I was in college, I, I too took public speaking briefly. Um, the thing about it is that most of these conversations, when you're doing presentations and you're preparing and I've noticed this and I'm, and I'm glad you bring it up. It's almost like the 10,000 hour rule. You have to continuously fine tune that one presentation to not only ensure that it always remains consistent, but do you agree that it also helps? Because once you have a command of the presentation, it will allow you to alter it at will without being a detriment to the overall presentation. No, you're, you're definitely on the right track here, Rich. So you got it. So what happens is once you create a presentation that's repeatable, that you can do over and over again, you start to ask yourself very different questions. So let's say you do 10 presentations that are all different and you present them once. This is the question you ask yourself for all 10 presentations, and it's the same. What kind of content should I put into this? What kind of content should I put into this over and over and over again? But if you present the same presentation 10 times, well, the third question that you're going to ask yourself when you present it the fifth time isn't going to be, what content should I put into this? Because you already know what you're going to say. Right. But rather, you're going to ask yourself, hey, what kind of emotions am I conveying in this presentation? Do people actually understand what I'm saying? Am I being too complicated in the way that I speak? And a good analogy I like to draw from my own industry is how other speech coaches like to start their presentations with the following. 
Did you know that after death, public speaking is the greatest fear that you could ever have in your life? And I'm just sitting there like, if you want to inspire people to speak better, the last thing you want to compare <laughs> it to is death. Yep. Right? But people don't step out for a second and say, is this actually adding value to people? So it's a good example there. Well, there's a there's a Bruce Lee quote, which always, uh, you know, in your previous explanation, it's fear not the man that knows 10,000 kicks. It's fear the man that practices one kick 10,000 times. And though your explanation on it is spot on in the sense that you take the one taking the one presentation and, and just sharpening it, fine tuning it, making sure that it continues to add value is is. The, the best approach you can have, because like you said, it's very easy to go plug in a PowerPoint and deliver uh, a, a, a cookie cutter presentation versus being able to engage and keep your audience's attention, which leads me to the next question. How often do you run into people having a challenge of keeping an audience engaged? Because a lot of times, especially with phones, smartwatches, it's easy for your audience to get distracted. How do, How can a listener who has to do a presentation or public speaking event ensure uh, real quick how they can keep their audience locked in on what the what information they're providing? Absolutely. It's a great question. I think the idea with engagement with your audience, Rich, is the more time you present a single presentation, the easier it is for you to break the noise. So what happens when it, you're presenting a slide deck or a presentation the first three to five times so if you're just getting started public speaking, you're really just focused on getting everything right, not really giving a show. So you're more just like, oh, I hope I get each slide right. I hope I say all the right things. I hope I say them at the right time, and I hope I cover everything. That's really your concern, and it just ends there. But after you present five to ten times, then you start to ask the questions that you just asked, which is how do we get them more engaged? How do we get them more excited? And the answer to that question is always different based on who you're talking to. So what I'm presenting to a group of teenagers, like really young girls who know how to code, like really impressive people, the language that I use is very different because they don't know what a CEO is. They don't know what my client list is. They frankly don't care about my accolades. They just care about how funny I am, how informal I am, and if I'm useful to them. Right. Whereas the opposite isn't true. If I'm speaking to a group of senior executives, they probably want to know who am I? What are my credentials? What kind of clients have I served? What kind of experience do I have? So then based on that, you can tailor things that would help your audience get more engaged. So one one example I can do for, for humor, uh, you don't have to use humor, but I'm just using this as an example here. I've used the same joke now probably in 250 out of the 300 times I've done my single keynote. Wow. Because – the beauty of saying the same joke over again is that you, you execute it well, but since you're always presenting to a new audience, it doesn't really matter if you've heard it before as long as they haven't. Well, ensuring that, do you concern? Do you feel concerned, especially if it's somebody who's consuming your content, that that amount of repetition may water down the message because it's going to be like, oh, this is the part where he drops this joke or this is the part where he does X do you feel that that's the case? And I'm, and I ask because a lot of times, especially if you are a fan of a particular person, you want to consume their content, but you almost know what to expect. You can predict the next part of where their presentation, their TED talk, et cetera, is going to, to venture down. How do you, how do you keep that fresh? How do you keep it reinvigorated to where if you are keeping quote unquote a script, so to speak, you can maintain that 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 again that spontaneity that sometimes lacks in a lot of presentations <laughs> no absolutely so i th i think there's like a difference between like the videos so the videos definitely there's some repetition but not that much so that's a lot more original cuz i just have a lot more time to right. to think about it and i can do it unlimited amount of times before i post but in the in this in the idea of presentations they won't actually know how I structure things in general, because 90, I would say 95, if not 99% of my audience generally doesn't know who I am okay. until I show up. They generally don't because I'm not like famous or anything, right? So they don't actually know what to expect. But uh, if, if there are situations where, and this has happened, but not a lot, where the person comes to watch me again, it's usually after a year 
So that means I've the, the presentation I gave is a lot better a year later than it was at that time. So number 400 is going to be better than number 300. So they're going to see a lot of spikes in improvement because they change the tips from time to time. But the other thing is I actually present other keynotes as well. So usually when those people see me, I'm talking about storytelling. I'm talking about how to build relationships. I'm talking about basic communication skills. So it's always changing. So it's not necessarily the the way that I'm presenting it changes ex- after I've perfected it anyways, but rather the content itself. Gotcha. Now, how do you how do you try and move people away from crutches when presenting? I know that you had done a video about, you know, cue cards and how they ruin presentations. What are some crutches that you try to impart on your audience to to eliminate as they're trying to become better public speakers, better presenters. What's something consistently that pops up? Yeah, cue cards is definitely one of them, uh, and I hate them for many reasons. But I think the idea is simple. If you're if you're if you're not scared to present, or even if you're scared but you're not like vomiting on the stage, uh, you don't need cue cards. Cue cards is really for people who are just just getting started. Like for them, presenting is a win. Even if they fumble, like seventy percent of the time, ninety percent right. of the time. After that, you're you're considered a good speaker, in my opinion. So from that point on, you don't need cue cards. But I think another way to kind of fight against these these stigmas or these clutches that we put in our or crutches, excuse me, that we put in our in our own way. There's an exercise I like to do that people can do on the daily. That's called the random word exercise. So let's demonstrate this really quickly. Rich, why don't you just give me a random word? Uh, sky. Sky. Okay, so now what I have to do with the word is I have to create an introduction out of thin air. So here we go. I was walking on the street one morning, and I noticed the sun rising. I noticed the giggle of my little sister who was walking right next to me. But I think the most magical moment of that morning, Rich, was when I looked at the sky. The clear blue sky that reminded me that despite all the hardships in our lives, despite all of the difficulties and despite what happens, that sky will always remain the same, as clear as our mind should be, as clear as how our direction should be, and as clear as the decisions that we make on a daily basis. So remember that the sky is not just something we look at in the morning, but it's the very thing that we should embody in our own lives. So notice how I just did that out of thin air, right? Completely right. randomly. This is what we call the random word exercise. So obviously don't compare yourself to me. I've done this literally a thousand times. But what you want to do is for five minutes every day, you want to practice that exercise I just demonstrated with five random words. So either have someone else give it to you, like Rich just gave it to me, or you could just walk around your house and go light bulb, laundry, dirty clothes, wife who's mad at me, and then you just make presentations out of that. And that'll force you into the discomfort because you're always forced to present something that you don't even know anything about. It's it's funny that 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 exercise, I think of when people talk about uh, improv and improv classes and improvisation and just hearing you do that and being able to almost freestyle, so to speak, like when in terms of like when somebody – looks at a at a hip-hop artist and they freestyle <laughs> off of whatever's in the room or over a beat i i like that you're applying that rationale to public speaking because i think that that's the toughest part where you kind of have to stick to a script and things happen the audience gets distracted maybe somebody's loud maybe somebody's uh not focused and it's kind of in your in your field of view and you're seeing it and you have to adapt to that now talking about public speaking in front of an audience, I know that you had a lot of different videos with regards to that and making sure that people were, you know, how to control hostile, hostile audiences, body language. And I want to touch a little bit on the body language because, you know, we're all guilty of certain visual cues. And I wanted to ask, what are some visual cues that you feel uh, people should try and step away from when they're presenting, especially, well, let, let's tailor it to the current climate. What are some visual cues that you want people to avoid when they're presenting, whether it's in person or virtually? Yeah, so, so, so my general POV uh, point of view, I mean, on body language is the following. It should never be your focus at the beginning. 
because it's it, much more important for you to have a repeatable presentation. So let's say a presentation about your favorite recipe, presentation on running or something you care about that you just do a lot of times. You need to think of body language like a, like a seasoning on on a, on a steak. If you don't if you don't have the steak, there's no point of adding seasoning, or else you just have an empty plate with seasoning on it. Right. But if if you work on your presentation, then you can move towards body language. So the idea with body language is you want to focus on what not to do rather than what to do. Because usually people know how to naturally speak or be in in a room. It's when they make some mistakes that could compromise them. And I'll be honest with online presentations, it's really hard to get it wrong. It's really hard All to right. get body language. You have to be really excited for it. just crazy. Like moving your hands around maniacally in front of the lens or, I don't know, not looking at the camera directly so you're not looking at the audience. But, yeah, so I would say what I would say for, for body language is I would leave that on the shelf for today and focus a lot more on another tip that, that's related to body language called mirroring. So what mirroring means is – when you mirror the energy of your audience, so I'll give you an example. Let's say you wake up in the morning, right? And you're getting ready for work or whatever your commitments are for the day. And you look at yourself in the mirror and you think, man, today's a great day. So I'm going to have meetings with people. I got a nice podcast episode with Brendan that I'm listening to. Then I got uh, work meetings. Then I get dinner with my family. Life is amazing. So when you look at that mirror, Rich, you see someone who's happy. You see someone who's content with life. And that is the energy that person projects onto their audiences, whether it's their friends, their family, their colleagues, and as I mentioned, the audience. But the opposite is also true. When you look in that mirror, you might say, man, this day sucks. I got to listen to Brendan. Who's this guy anyways? Then I got to run errands, then I got to talk to my wife, then I got to talk to my husband, then I got all these work meetings. I'm not in the mood. This stinks. So when you look in that very same mirror, you see someone who's not pumped, who's not excited. And that is also the energy that you project onto your audience. What's the punchline? The punchline is a mirror isn't just the thing that you look at in the morning. It's the very thing that you are. Because as speakers, we mirror our own emotions onto our audience. So if we look upset, if we look uninterested, if we look sad, that is how our audience will perceive us, whether that's an in-person presentation or an online one. But if we show up with reassurance, with positivity, with excitement, even if we've been locked in our basements for the past five months, then we can still go out there and deliver a show anyways. That's one hell of a way to look at it. Now, what you know, we always talk about on this podcast about just the, the tools and the tactics, but I want to ask you uh, who are some great public speakers that people should watch to, to kind of get inspiration. Who do you feel are, are, you know, two or three individuals that are just masters at delivering presentations? Absolutely. There, there's definitely a bunch, but I would say the, the big three for me is probably Scott Harrison, who's the CEO of Charity Water. I'd all recommend you all check out his book as well, because it's really amazing. And I apply a lot of the storytelling acumen and how his brain works. It's just fascinating, frankly, in the realm of public speaking. It's Thirst by Scott Harrison. It's his personal memoir. And basically what he does is he, he speaks around 100 times a year, and he still does to this day. Uh, even even with the whole situation that's going on now. And he primarily does it to raise money for his charity. But I think what I like about it is he's very outcome-based. He's a good example of a speaker that has such a strong reason to speak that messing up is not an option. He has to give his best. He has to be his best. And he needs to deliver the best possible presentation. He's awesome. That would, that, he's probably the best storyteller I've seen in my life. Number two would probably be Seth Godin. Seth is just amazing he's he's been speaking for 40 years now probably like 30 40 years and he is just uh, words can't even describe how great this guy is he has like 150 slides he never looks at a single one he never looks at the clicker he just presents as if it's just a regular presentation and he's just so phenomenal and the reason he's so phenomenal, in my opinion, is because how generous his content is. Even to this day, he still writes a blog every day, and he's been doing that since 1989. He hasn't wow. missed Christmas. He hasn't missed New Year's Eve. He has been blogging longer than I have been alive. It is literally ridiculous. And it's that generosity 
to help other people to add value that really shows off in his speeches because the speeches are so rich. You're literally taking notes every second and you just can't get your head out of it because he's just so amazing. Third one. Actually, I would, I would leave it at those two. I think those are two people that we should just follow. Excellent. Now, yeah. The, the looking at that, what are what are there any books or particular videos? Obviously, besides the ones you create, that you recommend for people to to either improve their public speaking or if they want to embark on a career in public speaking, that you recommend they check out. Yeah, absolutely. So I would definitely – I always like to recommend one book because I know books are overwhelming and a huge time investment. So I'm very unconventional in the sense that I only have one book recommendation That's besides fine. my own videos obviously, which is Thirst by Scott Harrison. Nice. Now, in terms of your preparation, and I want to get into that as a as a content creator, how do you, how do you structure your approach for videos? Do you storyboard? Do you – kind of give yourself an overall theme only because in in your catalog of videos i notice you you jump the, the message is consistent in terms of just applying value to public speaking and and using real life lessons to help improve it but i noticed like you did a video about things you learned from a train ride and uh <laughs> things you learned from karaoke how do you how do you structure that like how does your how what's your thought process for building a, a video Absolutely. I love the question, man. You've clearly done your homework. I love it. But I think the idea is whenever I make a video, I always start with the main intention, which is why did I start the channel in the first place? And it's always easier to figure out your uniqueness when you're bashing other creators. But not bashing in the way that this person stinks, but more in the sense of what's missing here. What's missing in this collection of great knowledge that already exists? And here's what was missing. One, succinct tips. Most creators on, on for public speaking specifically riff for like 20, 25 minutes and don't get to the point. Right. Whereas I'm sure in these 25 minutes we've spent together, I've already shared like what, like geez, half of my playbook yep. that people probably never were heard of if they had spent years just investing in courses and all that stuff. So that's one. Two was uh, a focus on high quality of production. I really wanted to make my videos feel like magic. So whenever you started watching, you would I would want people to light up like they were a little kid at Christmas, just like, man, I've been waiting for this kind of tips my whole life. Look at this. He looks got a suit on. He's got all this stuff on. It's probably worth watching. And and three, I would say, is transitioning the way that I speak about public speaking from a hindrance to something that you need to do to something that you want to do because it's important. So in order for us to get those three flavors in together, high-quality production, succinct tips, and inspiration rather than perspiration, I guess it's a good way of looking at it. <laughs> That's a good way, is, yeah. yeah. Thank you. I just thought of that on the spot, to be honest. But here's the, the idea is simple here. I needed to do the following. First, first of all, I needed to script all of my content because if I didn't write everything word for word, I would trend off on my thoughts. My my thoughts would go all over the place and no one would understand me. So that's part one. Part two is figuring out ways to tie in real life into public speaking, something people can relate to, something that people can understand. And three, show off my personality in a way that gets people attached to public speaking and not running away from it. So from looking at all these three concepts, when I structure my videos, I always think of like if I was a beginner public speaker, if I was someone who didn't understand public speaking, was afraid of it, is this video something that I would watch and understand? And that is the intention I set whenever I write each of my scripts. And then after that, video ideas really just come from my audience. So if you think about train rides, that video you mentioned – the, the, how the idea came about was I was on a train ride from Montreal to Toronto, which is in Canada. It was like a five-hour train ride. And as I was just sitting there on the train ride, I was just looking outside and I just said, hey, I could probably make a video on this because I think there's uh, applications to presentation. Then I just started writing stuff and I just got excited. And then the, by, by the time I knew it, the script was over, the train ride was over. So I just said, oh, this is a good video. So, so some of it is just random, to be honest. I'm always thinking of new stuff. But most of it comes from just a, a huge network of people that I know right. that uh, just give me new ideas to think about. Are you, are you prepping your scripts uh, the old-fashioned way, just writing in, in a notebook with pen and paper? Or are you doing it in your phone? Are you doing voice memos? Good, good follow-up. So usually what I do is I uh, – 
I do titles on my notepad. Uh, notepad is in Google Keep, so online, so I can always keep it on me. Right. And for the scripts, I, I type them out. But one thing I want to focus on is the reason I'm very original i guess with the content so to speak is because i write it so well in advance so even to this day just to give people an idea as of this recording in four days i will be done my content for 2021 wow 2020 2021 that means as of this recording so people don't know when people are going to watch this i am as of now 16 months ahead of schedule and my videos have already been recorded and edited for this year holy cow that's amazing you got to appreciate it, man. But the, the benefit of doing that is it allows me to not be stressed about my next upload. Because right now, since I don't get to go outside anymore, what I'm doing now is I actually write a new YouTube video every day. So that's something I spend an hour and a half a day focused on so that by the end of this year, I'll be done for the next four or five years. That's that's tremendous. Now, with that said, you you know you script right. How are you? How are you filming? Do you have a, a dedicated camera? Are you using your phone? Do you split between the two? Because yeah, every basically. every YouTuber has a different setup. So of course, you know that's we always like to look behind the curtain. So you know how's your how's your layout setup? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think this is a great question because it varies based on what kind of YouTuber you are. So for me, I knew. I'm not like most YouTubers in the sense that I actually don't really like the filming. Actually, I frankly hate it, the filming process of making a video. I'm more into the impact that it creates. So I knew from day one when I started in my mother's basement with my phone, no lighting and no money, frankly. Right. I didn't I didn't want to edit my videos. So I would just make my video on my phone and just post it and post it and post it. And what would happen over time is they started getting really good on camera. Then I upgraded to an $800 DSLR, which is a camera. And then after that, I bought $50 lights. And then after that, I was good enough that I just went up to my best friend and said, can I just do full? Can I just go fully professional? I know you're really good at video. I know you've been doing it for seven years. Can I just work together? So I give him 25% of my salary now. So now I'm fully professional. Wow. And um, what are, how, how are you filming? What, uh, what hardware are you using for that? Like what camera? Oh, I wish I knew. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I, I'm happy to talk about my early gear, though. So when I started, it was just a Pixel One, and this is this is the idea for you for people who are interested in YouTube. On a side note, since you asked, there's an easy way to figure out if you want to do YouTube or not. Try posting a week, uh, once a week for eight weeks, and if you can't do it, don't bother posting more because you're just going to lose on the platform. The people that are successful on YouTube are willing to do this for five, ten years. And if you're not willing to do that, you're, you're probably not going to be successful. But if if you are, on the other hand, someone that's just like, I love videos and I just love creating an experience for my viewers and you're willing to do it for a decade on the opposite, I can pretty much guarantee you're going to be successful because YouTube's a very long game. Mm -hmm. But if you can play the long tail and you're, you're still playing, you're good. So after I had my Pixel 1, I upgraded to a, a Canon T7i. And then after that, I my now my video guy just takes care of everything. I have no clue, and That's, frankly, I don't want to know because it doesn't play to my strengths. Yeah, well, it, I'm I'm glad you brought that up for two reasons, and and I want to uh, tie it into just content creation in general. As a podcaster, I tell people all the time when they want to get into it, uh, something along those similar lines, where I tell them like, if you can't get past ten episodes, then you shouldn't do, you shouldn't pursue this because. Like you just said, consistency, being able to provide value. I mean, the same way someone gets mad if they preempt Game of Thrones one week is the same way that somebody can be upset if they don't have that new video or that new podcast. Because people think that just because you have, you know, 81 views, 100 views, that they're not doing as good a job as, you know, some other YouTubers or content creators. But I always tell people this. How many times can you speak to a room full of 80 people, 50 people that are hanging on your every word. You don't even talk to 50 people in, a, in in your daily life. Not you, because obviously you, because of your profession, but a lot of people, you know? That's super powerful. I completely agree with what you said, Rich. Like, pe people don't get it that authority matters a lot more than following. Like, in my case, I don't have that many subscribers. You know, I've had some success with the channel and I'm proud of it. But in my niche, the content I'm providing is like top three on the platform, right? So the people who find me, who actually want to listen to me, who want to hear from me, like someone like yourself, Rich, 
you're going to watch all the videos because you're going to say, well, I want to be better as a podcast host. I want to tailor a better experience for my guest. And that requires better questions and better communication skills. And there's other people like yourself and other people in general that will want to see the content that I'm providing. So the idea is not to go after a million followers. Obviously, that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But you want to start with what Seth Godin calls the smallest viable audience. Who are the thousand people, the thousand true fans, using Kelly, Kevin Kelly's blog as well? Who are the people that will do anything for you? And if you have just a thousand people, not a million, but a yep. thousand people who buy like $50 products every year, $100 products every year, who just want to support you, then you have a living. Then that's it. Then you can just do this for a living. That's that that right there is the is one of the nuggets that I definitely want people to take from this from this particular conversation. It's exactly that. I think that so many people get caught up in the numbers game that they don't realize that sometimes, like you just said, you want to build that that hungry audience that's just starving for your content. And you'd be surprised that people with 50 dedicated listeners, 100 dedicated listeners, they feel happier from a personal perspective. And I actually wanted to bring it back to that as a creator uh, with the content that you're creating. Do you feel that people are reaching out to you and letting you know like, Hey, this video really helped or Hey, I did this talk. Are, are you running into that now as you've been creating for quite a bit that people are reaching out and using your information, acting on it and it's paying off. And the results are that, People are coming to you and, you know, thanking you and appreciating your content. Absolutely, Rich. I probably get that message at least on the weekly, if not the daily. But I think the idea is just this is what happens when you create something of value for people. People will come up to you, even if it's just one person, and say thank you. And the advantage that you have as a small creator is you have the opportunity to, to give everyone a personalized approach while you're still small. And that's what I'm trying to enjoy now, right? Because, you know, like, you know, I love being on podcasts, but I know in the future, as the YouTube channel gets bigger, it's going to be much harder for me to go on as many shows as I'm invited to be on. Right. So I think the idea is just, you know, it's a great opportunity as you're young, as you're small, as you're starting to grow your channel or, you know, your podcast or your blog or whatever you're trying to build, that you can create that personalized experience for people before you take off like a rocket ship. There you go. Now. I want to switch gears a bit. We do a, a, a series here. Uh, we like to call it the hot seats, just a uh, series of rapid fire questions, some related to interest, some related to uh, professional that just give value. They're spontaneous, no pressure. We're just going to run through them and you can answer as you see fit, long, short, etc. Let's do it. All right. So one of the biggest things you were talking about is you started creating content with your mobile device. Um, and you mentioned the Google Pixel. What's your current mobile device? Oh, good question. I think I got a. I'm actually looking at my phone now. I think it's a Pixel Three. Ah, so you 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 stuck you stuck with the Pixel, uh, the consistency and the, <laughs> the the dedication to the hardware. I see. You got it, but but I'm not a stickler for those kinds of things. Like okay, most people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent. Now, uh, when you're working, are you working uh, desktop, laptop, or do you prefer to just be on the go with your phone? I am literally sitting on my mattress as I'm talking to you, so definitely laptop. <laughs> there you go. And uh, given that you you have an appreciation for for Android, are you uh, using a Windows laptop or an Apple or it's still or a MacBook like many others? <laughs> Yeah, I'm not a Mac kind of guy. I'm very Windows because I just like my Excel shortcuts and being efficient. Gotcha. So, yeah. What 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 made you um, gravitate towards that, especially? And I want to ask that because you know Excel shortcuts is not something people mention often. So are are you doing that on the daily, working with Excel frequently? That shortcuts are are that important. Yeah, you got it. So my day job is I'm a technology consultant at IBM. So I spend a lot of time just like working through spreadsheets. And honestly, the faster you are at that, the more time you got for master talk, right? So, nice. <laughs> so that, that's a hell of a way to do it. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, when you wake up in the morning, what's the first app you go to? Oh, geez, that's a good question. Uh, the first app I go to is Gmail. All right. Now, do you have zero inbox or not? zero yeah i actually have three now three open emails i have to close out there you go Uh, do you know why a lot of people sometimes when they are content creators they'll they'll show their phone and it'll be like 
a thousand unopened emails. <laughs> so that's pretty funny. Um, what's a website you recommend to people often? Oh man, that's a good question. Oh, <laughs> well, Matchmaker's pretty good. <laughs> That I've been recommending recently yep. uh, to get on people's shows and guests and have people on their shows. But besides Matchmaker, I would say, geez, you asked me good questions. Oh, man. Uh, YouTube. There you go. <laughs> Just, yeah, there you go. What's your favorite piece of tech besides your phone or computer? My Bose headset. I can't live without it. It's the best 400 bucks I ever spent on anything. Nice. Uh, what? That's the uh, Quiet Comfort? Yeah, you got it. Q, uh, QC25s. Nice. Um, do you like to work with music or in silence? Silence. All right. Last book you read. Last book I read. Damn. <laughs> I have to, it's uh, oh yeah. Winners take all by Anand. All right. What's something that you've purchased that's less than a hundred dollars. That's made your life either easier or more enjoyable. Yeah. The Tim Ferriss question. I like that one. Oh, uh, Crap, I, I it was definitely my Bose headset, but that's over a hundred. So I would definitely say my Amazon lights. They're just amazing. They allow me to look somewhat handsome, even if I have a really dark skin. So, so I I like I like to tell people melanin problems. There you go, that works too. <laughs> I, I know the feeling. Um you know, we talk about the tech, we gotta talk about toys. Um what was your favorite toy or collectible from your childhood? Mm. Probably my Game Boy SP. Couldn't live without it. I would just play Pokemon 17 hours a day. Nice. Do you still game now or no? I used to be a professional League of Legends player when I was in college. Really? But I, yeah, I used to. I was a, I was a diamond. I was a diamond Morgana support player, and I solo queued to diamond, and then I quit the game. But anyways, I was I was pretty hardcore, and then after I, I, I left I left gaming so I can focus more on my career, and I haven't looked back. Nice. It's funny you mentioned an SP. I was actually cleaning out some stuff for eBay, and I found a, a game. I found two Game Boy SPs that I had. So that's awesome. Well, that's awesome. I think I lost one. I haven't. I haven't played one in like ten years. Uh, last one. Where, if I were to reach out to you a year from now, what is your goal with Master Talk and as a content creator? Where do you see yourself a year from now? Yeah, for sure. So, so for me, the goal is, and obviously, it's changed since since uh, the situation occurred. Hence, why pivoting is so important. But I think for me, it's it's uh, I'm tr- uh, probably ten thousand subscribers at the minimum. Okay. Just basically, my ultimate goal is to be the number one public speaking YouTube channel. So you know, I guest on like a bunch of podcasts. I do a bunch of free webinars and virtual workshops just to get the word out. So I think that's where you'll see me. You'll you'll see me hopefully at 10k subscribers and very close to leaving my corporate job so i can do this full time that's fantastic that's a that's always a goal for so many and i definitely wish you the best of luck i think you have the content and the uh the acumen to pull it off i appreciate that rich all right and uh last but not least where can people find you to connect with you Absolutely. And I always say that I'm not famous like Rich over here. So feel free to send me a message on Instagram at Master Your Talk. I answer all my DMs. So feel free to send me comments, questions, insults. I'm happy. I'm happy with anything. And if you want to check out my YouTube videos and you want to learn all of the public speaking tips we haven't discussed today, you can check out my YouTube channel, Master Talk in one word and learn more over there. All right. We'll make sure to include links for that in the show notes for this episode. Last but not least, uh, the third part of our show, we like to do what we like to call reach one, teach one, uh, like to give listeners one more piece of actionable advice to close things out. Uh, in your case, if someone's interested in pursuing a career in public speaking, uh, what's one piece of actionable advice they can take starting today? Yeah, I'll I'll give one public speaking advice and one life one to conclude. So Excellent. public speaking, yeah, of course. So public speaking, I would say it's simple. If you if you're getting into this game to get paid to speak, let me tell you, it's not going to work out because I probably presented 250 times before I got paid for my sp- first speaking engagement. So if you really want to be better, you need to see public speaking as a vehicle to something else. So if you have a YouTube channel you want to promote, if you, there's a movement you want to start, if it's academic research you just want to share with the world, that's what public speaking is for. And if you can lean into that, it'll be much easier to make a career out of it. And for life advice, my favorite quote of all time is to be insane or be the same. 
So if you want to be like everyone else, that's totally fine. You go do that. But if you're listening to this podcast and you're spending 42 minutes listening to me and Rich, there's probably something that you want to do besides just you know, going about the errands of the daily life. So my advice is the fastest way to get to who you truly are or who you truly need to be is to become a bit more insane. That means to question everything. That means to, to ask yourself the hard question, which is why is everyone else saving for retirement at 65 as Steve Jobs died at 56? Right. Why do we all need to get married, have two and a half kids, not two kids? Why picket <laughs> facts, fence, do all of that, marry within our own ethnicity? Why do we have to do all of these things? Even right. if society doesn't explicitly tell us to do those things, those are what we this, this is what we're conditioned to hear and become. So my advice to people is by communicating and by stepping into your own insanity, which means communicating the odd things that you do on a daily basis, you'll slowly transition into finding crazy ideas like starting this podcast or doing YouTube videos, not on vlogs, not on comedy, but on public speaking tips. Nice. That's a, that's a hell of a way to close things out. Uh, Brendan, I truly appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to share the toys and tech of your trade. Appreciate that, Rich. What a great conversation with Brendan. I definitely learned a lot, and I thought I kind of had the whole speaking gig down pat doing podcasts for so long, but there's always more you can learn. Everything we discussed in this episode will be linked in the show notes. You can also find Brendan's YouTube channel and some of his links in the show notes for this episode as well. Full disclosure, as always, some of those items that we discussed may contain affiliate links, which if you click, we will receive a small commission at no additional cost to you, which allows us to improve not only the show, the network, the website, the YouTube channel, etc., but just it, it goes towards giving you guys a better content experience. Like I said, better audio, better video, etc. You guys know the deal. Call to action before we wrap things up. If you want to be a guest on a future episode of My Take Radio, you can email me rich at rageworks.net or you can use the contact form on the Rageworks Podcast Network website, rageworksnetwork.com. You can fill out that form not only for my show, but some of the other shows that are on our network, including Trek Untold, Call Me When It's Over, Black is the New Black, a Turnbuckle Tabloid, Cheese, and many of our other shows. And if you think you'd be a great fit for the network, you can reach out via the contact form or email as well. Always looking to work and collaborate with a lot of awesome hosts that you know we can introduce to our audience. So if you got a show and you think you'd be a great fit, feel free to reach out. Also, if you're in New York, um, we are working on possibly opening a creative space where you can come in, record podcasts, YouTube videos, maybe do some photography, maybe some live streaming. We'll see. Um, I know in the current COVID climate, things are a little crazy right now, but we are trying to iron out some logistics in terms of not only finding a space, but how much it will cost, how many investors we want to bring in, et cetera, et cetera. But we are working on that. So if you're in New York City in the five boroughs, and are looking for a place outside of your home to create your content, whether it's a YouTube video or a podcast or a video podcast, um, hopefully we will have a space for you. And if you're interested in learning more, uh, hit me up on social or via email, and I can explain what we have in mind. And who knows, if there's an opportunity to work or collaborate with someone who's interested, that's awesome too. So I figured that would be a great little nugget of information that would be awesome to share with the audience before we wrap up this week's episode. As always, new episodes of Toys and Tech Are the Trade are available every other week, every two weeks, I should say, on Wednesdays. Sometimes scheduling throws things off, but Wednesdays there is usually a new episode. Well, every other Wednesday, I should say. So be on the lookout. We got great guests for the month of August, the month of September, and I think we even got guests until October, and who knows, there might be a necessity to move to a weekly format, but we'll stick with the bi-weekly stuff for now. As always, thank you guys for your continued support. We truly, truly appreciate it. And on that, we're out of here. Peace.
Toys and Tech of the Trade is part of the RageWorks Podcast Network, your source for rants about gaming, entertainment, and the works. Visit us at RageWorksNetwork.com.